0: morning. Well, grace and peace, everyone. Good morning. Y'all join me in welcoming Pastor Kurt back. We'll let him update you after we pray. And uh, it is uh, certainly good to have you back, Kurt, for sure. Amen. Well, uh, today is... Uh, the 130th day of the year, that is not a David psalm, so I would thought I would pull back. And, um, I think the material that we're going to cover today is interesting for sure, but there is some connections here between what David says in uh, 2 Samuel 23 and also what he prays in Psalm 53. So let's uh, pray together. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, and their ways are vile. There is no one who does good. God looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. Everyone has turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Do all these evildoers know nothing? They devour my people as though eating bread. They never call on God. But but there they are, overwhelmed with dread, where there was nothing to dread. God scattered the bones of those who attacked you. You put them to shame, for God despised them. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When God restores his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Well, it is good to be back uh, with you guys. I had kind of an adventure. <laughs> Not a good one. But I had my surgery three weeks ago now. Um, had a fusion in my neck. And uh, went I had the surgery in Houston. Um, went back two weeks later. Uh, for my checkup and uh, I was killing it I was doing so good I was out of the neck brace I was off all the drugs I was telling these guys I sat in the waiting room with two other guys that had surgery the same day I did and they were there as well for their checkup and one was a lot younger and they were telling horror stories and it was bad and man I was, I was feeling good I, I kicked it baby you know I was, I was coming back so, finished all that, went to the airport. I was a little early for my flight, so I decided to eat at Papadou's in the airport. And uh, in hindsight, probably not my best idea. And so I picked up a norovirus, and uh, I started extreme projectile vomiting. And my neck couldn't take it. And so... There's a whole kind of level of suck uh, that went on with that, so I'm kind of um, treading back, back in the collar, back on everything. So, but I, I'm I'm doing doing better each day. Um, probably should give a warning. I'm probably not in my right mind today to do a Bible study. <laughs> <laughs> so, if it sounds really weird, it's even you know weird for me. But uh, I'm kind of anxious to be back with you guys. Anxious to to be here. You know. God's word is is such a foundation in so many ways. You know, I do it for a living, but it's also what I do for for living. You know, my my existence. For and uh, so it's 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 a good place to be. So let's take a look at chapter twenty three. And are we at verse one or verse eight? Verse one. Verse one. All right. Well, let's. Well. Do, do a little back and forth here. Uh, I, I think strongly that we are dealing with kind of supplemental material. We're dealing with an appendix. This is sort of after the main narrative. And a scribe is, um, he's got the story of Samuel, he's got the story of David, but he's got this other stuff too. And he doesn't want to leave it out as we've talked about before this is this is pretty common practice uh, for scribes if they if they have something they know is part of the story they don't want to leave it out and it's especially true with scripture and so it gives kind of a challenge for us in that this is not as easy as the narrative part of David's story you know it's not just god did this god did this behind whatever the scribe is doing, behind whatever Samuel was doing, I think there's the hand of God. And for some reason, God wants this in here. And it takes a little bit more work, I think. But hopefully when we get done today, you'll see that there is um, some, some really deep stuff going on here. So I know Pastor Steve took you through the psalm in 22. And then here in 23, we we start with this sort of a shortened version of uh, another psalm from David. It's sort of an oracle. Uh, It's it's projection. It's what David wants to have said about him. Um, So let's look at it. Twenty-three. So, so one Verse of the 20. things you're
0: always sure. good about reminding us of, Kurt, is the Bible is not scared to tell the nasty stories. For sure, right? Uh, this is kind of the opposite of that, almost, right? This is like David. Want, this is the, the story that we, that David, hopes will be told
1: about him. Exactly. What you're saying, yeah, you know, it's like he wrote his own obituary, right? These are the last words of David. Are they the last words of David? know that they're not right because remember where we started remember what he says to Solomon when he's dying don't let him die in peace uh, whatever you do and I know you're smart son you'll take care of him you know don't so these aren't his last words <laughs> this is what he hopes would be his last words um, you know David son of Jesse speak David the man to whom God gave such wonderful success. David, the anointed by the God of Jacob. What's the word anointed mean? Covered in oil, Covered in oil yeah. In Hebrew, what's the word?
0: Is it blessed?
1: And that's Messiah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's that, that weight of it. Uh, David, the Messiah of God. Now David wasn't the Messiah, but he was anointed a Messiah to be king, you know, to be the deliverer of Israel. So every time you see anointed, um, you know realize the the weight, the heavy of that word. Um, David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, <laughs> is that what you would put on his tombstone? I mean, you guys have lived with him, right? Did he just spend his days writing beautiful poetry to God? He spent a lot of time doing it. I mean, it is part of him, but there's also another side. The Spirit of the Lord speaks through me. The words are upon my tongue. The God of Israel spoke. The rock of Israel said to me, the person who rules righteously, who rules in fear of God, is like light in the morning. Like sunrise bursting forth in the cloudless sky, like refreshing rain that brings tender grass from the earth. So David is right; um, he's refreshing rain. <laughs> he's the light that bursts forth in the morning. Yeesh! We're kind of we're putting on thick there. So imagine you've opened a package and. You know you've read the story of David, you've seen the ups and downs um, it's It's obviously a real story, right? It's not just a a Robin Hood story, a fairy tale. you've gotten the nitty and the gritty. So you pull out this you know the last words of David, maybe it's on a card, and you look at it and you think, "Man, this guy's incredible." And then you have this other list. Let me jump down to verse eight. I think the author is doing this intentionally. These are the names of David's mightiest men. Now this is a, sort of a, an amazing thing here. These are called the goborim ha-david, which is uh, the giants, the, um, the mighty ones, the, 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 the bad boys, maybe, of David. So Gaborim are kind of legends amongst Israel. They're the Bigfoots. They're the Loch Ness monsters. Do you guys remember the story of the Nephilim from Genesis? This is kind of an obscure reference. But back in Genesis, there's this bizarre story where it talks about before the flood, the sons of God... And we don't know who or what those things were. Some people speculate they were angels. Some people speculate maybe they're a line of, of Seth, of the third son of Adam and Eve. But the Bible just says that these sons of God saw the women of earth and they found them beautiful. And so these sons of God came to earth and they produced children that were different than humans. And the Hebrews use this bizarre term, Nephilim. And for the life of us, we don't know where that word comes from. It's like a Hebrew saying, Japapino. Do you know what a Japapino is? I love Mexican food and my Japapino. I'm trying to say jalapeno, right? But... I've, I've put it in sort of Anglo-English to make sense of it. The word Nephilim is like that. It's from some language we don't know. We suspect it's the, the precursor to Israel. But um, it, they've, they've taken this Hebrew word, or they've taken this other word, and they've made it in Hebrew. So we don't know what the Nephilim are. But the, the scriptures say these Nephilim, these sons of angels or sons of God and sons of humans, these mixtures created Gaborim. These are giants. These are heroes of old. And Genesis goes on to sort of lay out, You know, these are the mighty warriors. These are like superhumans. They're bigger. They're stronger. They could do all of these things. So we don't know what the heck the story is. We we speculate a lot, but it stayed in the mind of Israel that they always looked for these giants, these Gaborim, these superhumans. They sometimes said that Goliath was a Gaborim, that he was this super tall, monstrous, superhuman. Um, You know, Uh, Jewish mothers, Israelite mothers would say, if you don't go to bed tonight, the Gaborim is going to come and steal you. You know, um, make sure you say your prayers or the Gaborim will get you. So we're we're using this image. David has his own troop of Gaborim. These monstrous supermen. And just from the introduction, you're thinking, wait a minute. I thought David was sunshine and light in beauty and goodness. But he's got a, a 30, we find out, 37 actually, gaborim. Um, it's like crips and bloods. It's uh, he's He's got his mighty warriors. So um, they begin to list them for us. Uh, the first was Yashobim, the Hakamite, who was commander of the three the three greatest warriors amongst David's men. He once used a spear to kill 800 enemy warriors in a single battle. Holy moly. Um, How is that possible? Um, Now, just, just, you know, again, you've opened this package. It's Psalms. You know, David is... Um, The spirit of the God speaking through me. And then he's got his giants who do what? They what? (laughs) They slaughter. Could you kill 800 cows in a single sitting? Uh, Could you kill 800 chickens in a single sitting? I don't know how this guy did it. Um, and he, he's not the only one here. So we'll, we'll go through some of the details, but really stop for a minute and think about what we're looking at. Why does God have this in here? I mean, I know the scribes do what scribes do and blah, blah, blah. But God wants this here. This is still the word of God us to name our children after them. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I swear to God, I'm going to start a service called Check the Bible Name Before You Give It to Your Kid, Uh, because so many people pick these cool-sounding biblical names, and they have no idea. Um, This is horrible, horrible. Please forgive me. But I was driving around Midland, and if this is someone you know, don't tell them. But on their license plate, they had Delilah. Okay. So Delilah is not a real word in Hebrew. It's a it's a curse. Forgive me. In in Hebrew it means literally the little door down there. It's a slang nasty word for what Delilah was. She was a what? <laughs> so you're driving around Midland with the little door down there. <laughs> don't, don't, don't do that. Don't, don't do that. So uh, here we have all of these um, these names, and they're, they're an interesting group uh, for sure uh, that David has following him. But, but think about it. Why is this here? If you want to capture David's life, The two extremes, the good, the bad, the the, the real, the hope for. Don't these two things do it? On the one hand, you have Psalms that I think are really God-inspired, that are something to carry. On the other hand, they're not shying away from the fact that David developed a mercenary core that we'll talk about a little bit more, changes sort of the direction of Israel. But he was a man of violence, a man of blood. So you have the two extremes of his life. Who he wanted to be, who he was spiritually, who he longed to be. And then being a king in the Iron Age, who he really was. These two extremes, they're, they're there. So in your funeral when they're putting together one of these little boards for you, right? It's all the rage now. We have uh, little uh, PowerPoints and we put up uh, all the little memories of the things you did. What two things would they put on the table for you? The psalm, the list of your gangbangers. What would those two things be? We're getting it here from David in a... In a sort of a massive kind of way. Something to really to think about. A couple, I guess, months ago. <laughs> They had a, a great birthday, my 50th birthday. And so they put a little table up for me and had like Egyptian stuff and Star Wars stuff. I, I hope that's not the Bible book for me. I mean, I love all that stuff, but uh, I hope there's, there's some psalm somewhere in there. So a couple things we can say that are a little bit different here. Um, a spear you would not think about as a big deal. But what kind of spear is this? You can probably guess. It's what? Wood. No, well, the spear is wood, but what's the, the the point? It's iron. Yeah, that's what they're laying out here. These guys are equipped with the latest weapons. These are not bronze or stone or anything like that. So that uh, good thing about iron. It, Keep sharp as you kill your your eight hundred. Um, so this uh, Yeshobeam is—he's not a great prayer warrior. He's not a gentle soul. He's of David's mighty uh, Gaborim. One thing as a historian that excites me is the use of three here. So these are David's thirty. And he has three, basically the way the structure works is you have 30, and then above that you have three, and then above that you have one. And then they answer to David, which is this is exactly uh, an Egyptian military formation. And so it really does show how advanced, uh, in a sense, David's military thinking and strategy has, has come from. Um, let me show you a picture real quick. This is a, a Pharaoh um, from do we have him? Um from the Middle Kingdom. This is several centuries before David. Um but he buried his thirty. Um that we found his tomb complex and suddenly there's thirty guys in there. And we're thinking, what in the world is this? Why did he bury? And they weren't mummified in sort of the best way. A lot of them seem to have, have had a pretty rough life. One guy still had an arrow stuck in his head, uh, which was pretty rough. Um, but these were his 30 and then again, he had his 30, his 3, and then his 1. And so he buried all of these guys when they died with him. Um, we have a, a model, which I think is the next picture. Uh, this is a, a model of an Egyptian unit. And you want to guess how many there are? 30, yeah. So, so important to understand what David did um, in terms of just raw military improvement. He learned from the best. He learned from the Philistines. He created this core group. And this is the core of the core. Remember, he has about 600 all together. But this is his, his cadre, his, his core. These are not farmers that are recruited to go fight. These are professional, highly trained soldiers. And remember, we had the discussion of where they came from. Some are family members. Some are tribe members. A lot of them are criminals, deadbeats, nobodies from Judah. And then a section of them are foreigners. And We have Philistines. We have Arameans. We have Moabites. Uh, we have a Hittite. Remember Uriah the Hittite. So these are, in every sense, mercenaries, soldiers. They're always loyal to David, but they are... They're killers. They're, you know, they can do these these unbelievable uh, acts, like killing eight hundred in a single battle. So, doing good. Well, let's uh, let's go on then. Um, look at verse nine. Next in the rank among the three was Eleazar, son of. What is your say? yeah dodai some say dodo <laughs> it means my beloved um which it's funny the the rabbis um make a lot of comment about that. What kind of mother would be named um my beloved i mean it, it, I guess it's a little obscure she she's a camp follower. She's not a good girl. It's like, um, you know, peaches mounds or something like that. I don't know. You know, um, hot potato or, you know, it's not, it's not a real name. Anyway, a descendant of Ahoah, once Eleazar and David stood together against the Philistines while the entire army of Israel had fled, he killed Philistines until his hand was too tired to lift the sword holy moly, you know, what'd you do today? Well, I killed Philistines. And remember, these are not uh, goat herders. Uh, These are heavy infantry. Uh, These are, at least in Israel, um, some of the best fighters in the world. And so his personal bravery, obviously he had stood with David when everybody else had fled. And then you have this little addition. And the Lord gave him, a great victory that day. And so there is this, hmm, these guys aren't doing all of this stuff by themselves. That there is God's help. And I don't know who's recognizing it, if it was David or the men themselves, but they, they're doing what they do um, at David's commands. And God is blessing David. David. Does David always use this group for good things? No. Sometimes he does. Um, sometimes he does it. It's really important to notice that this action on the part of David changes really kind of the whole. Trajectory of what it is to be an Israelite, of what it is to be, we'll say later, Jewish. I mean, you think about today. What are Jews known for? I mean, really? If you, yeah. You, know, you think of a Jew, you think he's a money lender, or he's a banker, or he's a lawyer, or something like that. Or, you know, my son, the doctor. You know, that kind of stuff. But in the ancient world... If you talked about a Jew or an Israelite, do you know what they instantly thought of? A warrior. A fighter. A scrappy little pit bull that you don't want to mess with. And that's surprising. I mean, they're a small country. Um, It's sort of like an Israeli today, an Israeli soldier. Are they tough? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of they've recovered this ancient identity that began with David. And David will change sort of the whole trajectory of what it is to be the, the guy that says Goliath. When Israel when Judah and Israel are destroyed, other countries say, come to our land because we want you to fight for us. The Egyptians uh, will take as many Jews as they can get, again surprising given their history because they're such good fighters the egyptians will have whole colonies of jews living there because they're good fighters it's uh, one of the most fascinating archaeological sites i've ever seen is on the southern border of egypt a place called el elfantine or elfantini and it's a, it's an island in the middle of the nile river and it has big mounds that look like elephants. That's why they call it elephantini. But um, it was the border between Egypt and Nubia. And there was a lot of back and forth. The Nubians were pretty tough fighters. And so the Egyptians wanted to keep them out. So the border patrol that they set on their southern border were Jews. And the Nubians, which were like big giant monsters, didn't want any part of that. I stay home. It's, it's fine. How does that happen? Because, in a sense, this is what David did. He took them from farmers and wanderers to... We know how to use iron weapons. We know how to use heavy infantry. We know how to fight. We know how to do stuff like this, that when everybody else retreats, we don't. We get into a battle and we fight until our hands are exhausted. Um, so, on the one hand, it's a good thing that it gives this incredible strength that there is more to an, a, a little Judean than you know, other neighbors around them. It gives them strength to survive when they couldn't. But it also sort of leads them to a path of destruction. What do they do against Rome? When Rome comes, what do they do? Yeah, they rebel and they get whooped and they rebel again and they get whooped. Remember, Jesus said, guys, we've got to stop this. This is not the path. You're, you're not going to kill your way out of this. And they rebel again until they are completely obliterated. I mean, Jesus warns them there's not going to be one stone standing on another um, when all this is done. Um, you cannot kill your way out of this. But this this legacy from David was still there. Um, they knew how to kill their Goliath, and they never gave up on it. So again, on your last day, on your table, what will they put? A song and the list of your your group, your buddies. Um, and haven 't gone all through it, I probably should you know there there's another guy who kills a lion there's another guy who kills an Egyptian kind of superhero with a spear. I mean these guys are just just incredible um, but they created David created this family this this community I mean, like we said, he brought together his his relatives. um, Do you know who the commander... No, I guess you don't because I didn't tell you. But verse 18, Abishai, son of Zeruiah, the brother of Joab, was the leader of the 30. So we remember Joab, of course, right? So his brother is the commander of the 30. So uh, he was sweet and loving, Right? good family, good people. So David has his relatives, he has criminals, thugs, deadbeats, and he has foreigners. But he brought them all together and he made this kind of community, this family, this group. Um, And they kicked butt. Um, All stuff aside, nobody fought like these guys. Uh, They were tough. They learned from the best and they improved upon it. So on your last day, when we list the people you've touched in life, your family, your friends, your buddies, co-workers, what kind of group did you put together? What kind of group did you lead? Now, I think this group would have done whatever David commanded them to do. They... they you know, there's another one that fights over a lentil field. <laughs> the Philistines want to take a field of lentils. And his comment is, oh, hell no. These are my lentils, buddy. Um, which if you ever had lentil soup, I'd have said, eh, just go. <laughs> we'll call it a draw, right? Um, you can have the lentils, but they love their lentils. Um, so they, they would fight for whatever. David's heart, David's reality, David's security, David's insecurity. All of this here, I think, for God to really push us a little bit. What are you gonna leave behind? Not just what you want in your heart, but what did you do with your hands? So anyway, I'm going long, sorry.
0: I wonder if any of the any David had any men that didn't make this
1: list that failed. Yeah. I'm sure he left a lot on the battlefield. Yeah, right? Good stuff, Kurt. How many of these men were descendants of David? How many of them were what?
0: Descendants of David were family members.
1: I can give you a specific answer, but... uh, I'm, I'm going to guess a good percentage, like thirty, maybe forty percent. Um, it's it, just trying to figure out the names and stuff like that. Um, so basically, goes his family is the largest group, and then sort of the criminals and whoever else he can find is the second largest, and then the foreigners are the smallest group. So
0: a lot of nepotism.
1: Oh, pff, absolutely! It totally. I mean, you know what makes a girl beautiful for an ancient Israelite? Yeah, she's family, a cousin. You always marry. I mean, you do everything to keep it in the tribe. So <laughs> that too. <laughs> I'm sure, I see
0: my perception of David. This study has. In what way has it changed? What was it before and what is it now? And we did this study, which I read Samuel before, but you know, just read and read and read never comprehended. Yeah. Yeah. Right Yeah. And I don't see how you can manage God's own heart. I know he wrote all this good stuff.
1: Yeah. I don't But does not that give us hope for us? That's that's the way I look at it. Yeah. I mean, I am... Just man. Yeah. God loved him. God did some good things through him. The point of all of this, and, and maybe this is growing up in our faith, is not to give us a story about heroes. The Bible's point is to teach us how good God is. There's only one hero, and it's God. Different people have interacted with God and they've done some good and bad things, but everybody really in the Bible is a failure except for God and, you know, obviously Christ. So David's imperfections just push me towards God. How he would be faithful to a pretty unfaithful guy. That's a good comment.
0: Thank you. Kind of see a little bit of our our formal perception of David. I guess before diving this deep and really getting into it, it's kind of like
1: our athletes and our movie stars. Yeah, see a lot of the highlight reel of their life, but you know, you don't always get down in the mud and see the day to day. And how in the world does God judge us? And how did He judge David? I think He was merciful. I mean, He. Want, saw the, what David could be. And uh, that's my hope for getting in <laughs> uh, who, who I want to be and maybe some days who I am, but other days, I, I don't know. So, but I think it's all here, so we continue to ask these questions. You know, What's the two things that would be laying on your table? If I showed a reel of all your buddies, of everybody that you brought together in life, are they going to look like these, <laughs> these thugs?
0: And, and even going back to what, uh, what we've been studying uh, when Pastor Kurt was gone, that psalm is much shaped just like these two sections are. And you, you remember that last week we got to that dividing line in the psalm where it seemed like early on David is consumed with what? No, 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 early on. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. Early on, like David is like hyper-focused on God. And then in the last third of the psalm, he's hyper-focused on who? His enemies. Now that would be something for the table, right, Kurt?
1: Yeah. So, And obviously on his deathbed, he's thinking about his enemies, you know. Who he needs to get rid of.
0: It seems like you got harbor. I yeah. agree. Maybe, maybe that's why
1: God said you are not going to build me. It's, yeah. Yeah. it's just harder and harder by that. Yeah. yeah. So real much blood on his hands. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, that could definitely land the plane today, Brent. I mean, as we're moving through life, our you know, Kurt always says about what do you always say about church members? Oh, they get
1: meaner the longer in church.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, may that not be with us. May it be the other way around. May it be that our heart continues to soften uh, towards God, soften towards one another as we seek to be the people He's made us to be.
1: We don't have them here. It's a terrible joke. But um, United Methodist Women, um, we used to joke in seminary that they were actually declared a terrorist organization. <laughs> because you get ladies that have been in the church for 75 years. And woo! <laughs> they could have been one of David's mighty men, right? <laughs> it's terrible yeah you better pray I better pray (laughs) (laughs) father our God we give you thanks that you're real that you love real people that you don't fill us full of fairy tales and make believe stories but you picked a real man and you've had us walk through his life you've said to us pay attention There's something in this life that I want you to see. Father God, as we look at it through the eyes of adults, we're surprised. Things that we didn't want to see, things that we routinely ignore, were laid right before us. But we pray your love is also seen by us. That even someone as great as David in our memory is just a complete murderous criminal without your presence. Help us, O God, to look in the mirror. For I believe that's what David calls us to. May we really understand who we are when we don't turn to you, when we don't have you as a regular part of our life. Father God, we are reminded that you gave David such skills, such abilities. He never lost a battle he really fought. That's a blessing you give us, O Lord. But help us think about the battles that we do fight, the things that we commit ourselves to, the people and the places that we build up. Help us to truly be humbled. Father God, we say a special prayer today as we, we see the wars, the struggles arise all around us. It seems as if our world is upended now through plagues, through war, through social struggle. Help us to be like David, to know the battles that we should fight because we've talked to You, to know how to be strong and how to surround ourselves with people that are strong. And make sure that as we use this, it's not out of fear, jealousy, nastiness, but it really is out of what we say in the Psalms that we are made new in You. We are the light. We are the goodness. We are the sweetness that you long for. Today we pray we live in this place that you really know us as you really knew David and you really love us. In your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen.